What's up, y'all? Ah, good morning, good morning, good morning. That is the wonderful DW3 band playing from a New Year's Eve party I did sound for him back in 2016 to 2017, New Year's Eve. Uh, yeah, DW3, cool band. Uh, you can find them on Spotify, etc. Uh, that's probably an unauthorized uh, recording uh, since it was coming straight off my board, but I like it. I don't know, it's just happy and, and fun stuff. Well, first off in the news, there's something that I usually don't talk about unless it gets a little interesting and that it would be football and lawsuits in football and what's going on in football. Well, Brian Flores, who is the coach of the Miami dolphins. Well, he was the coach of the Miami dolphins until he led them into a uh, nine, uh, nine, nine and eight season. And of course that wasn't enough for him to keep his job. And so he was shit canned. And on Tuesday, Flores, he filed a lawsuit uh, against the NFL crying out discrimination. Now, first off, I think I need to associate you guys with something uh, that is a rule in the NFL, and that is called the Rooney Rule. Now, what is the Rooney Rule? The Rooney Rule is that clubs must interview at least one diverse candidate from the career development advisory panel list or 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 a diverse candidate not currently employed by the club. Number two, part of the Rooney rule is clubs must continue best practice recommendation of considering multiple diverse candidates. And also rule three, clubs must maintain complete records and furnish to the league upon commissioner's request. And if final decision maker is involved in the beginning, he or she must be involved through the conclusion of the process. So this is a rule that the NFL put in place so that clubs have to are forced to interview at least one diverse candidate. That is, you know, not on their payroll already. Uh, and they're, apparently there's a career development advisory panel that creates this list. Or they can bring somebody in off the list. Either way, they have to have a diverse hiring process. And they have to, they have to interview at least one. Well, based on that rule, let me read this. On Tuesday, Flores filed a class action lawsuit against the NFL, alleging discriminatory hiring practices after a debacle involving the Giants with an assist from Mr. Bill Belichick. Belichick. I'm surprised he took time out from his massage parlor and getting his handies to send out a text, but apparently he did. Uh, so what happened with this, this message from Bill Belichick, it made uh, Mr. Brian Flores uh, want to step out and speak out about the ridiculous sham of an interview he had in New York. See, uh, Mr. Flores was interviewing for the head coaching position of the uh, New York Giants. Flores also in this lawsuit, he included text messages from Belichick, uh, the Patriots head coach, uh, and he sent those to Brian and they were meant for someone else. They were meant for Brian to ball the guy that actually got the job as the giants head coach. So basically what happened, let me, let me read these messages because what it is, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a little bit of a, let's see if I can blow this up so I can get this. So this is a message from bill Belichick to Brian Flores. And he says, he starts it off and he says, sounds like you've landed. sounds like you have landed. Congrats. And then Brian Flores responds back, did you hear something I didn't hear? 
And then Bill Belichick says, Giants, question mark, question mark, question mark, exclamation, exclamation, yada, yada. And then Brian responded back. He's all, well, I don't even interview till Thursday. I think I have a shot at it. And then Bill Belichick says, got it. I hear from Buffalo and New York Giants that you are their guy. Hope it works out for you if you want it to. And then Brian says, that's definitely what I want. I hope you're right, coach. Thank you. And then he, then he questions Bill Belichick and he says, coach, are you talking to Brian Flores or Brian DeBall? Just making sure. And then Bill says, oh, sorry, I fucked this up. I double checked and I misread the text. I think they are naming DeBall. I'm sorry about that. And he, and he says, thanks, Bill. So, so Brian Flores took it upon himself. In his lawsuit, he claims that he had set through he had to sit through this long dinner with the Giants owner. He had to do this lengthy interview process when they had already made up their mind that they were hiring Brian DeBall. And he's claiming that this was just an attempt. The only reason why they were interviewing with him was to satisfy the regulations of the Rooney Law. And so Flores' lawsuit is aiming to increase the number of black individuals involved in the hiring process for front office and coaching positions, as well as pushing the NFL to create a committee to seek out black investors who can add more diversity to ownership groups. Understanding that the issue with NFL hiring practices starts with the lack of diversity or belief in the importance of it from the ownership level. There are a number of other allegations in the lawsuit that are fascinating, and this is a big one. Check this out. Nobody seems to be talking about this one as much, but Brian Flores is claiming that as the Dolphins owner, Stephen Ross, allegedly offered him $100,000 for every loss in his first season. And the reason for that is uh, Miami wanted to tank so they'd have the top overall pick and later tried to get him to tamper for a top quarterback. Uh, it's assumed to be Tom Brady, but not outright stated uh, on a yacht trip. <coughs> Anyways, oh, as I'm choking here, Dolphins owner, Stephen Ross. Yeah, $100,000 throw the game lose the game and let's see they had a nine and eight season so uh eight so that's eight hundred thousand dollars right eight hundred thousand dollars for tanking this last season uh maybe that's why they fired him before they could pay that off anyways the rooney law brian flores um yeah man it seems like this one's going to get a little bit messy um bill belichick you know i man the guy just can't keep himself out of trouble you know he should have not been texting uh, before it was actually officially announced who the coach was and he would have, you know, <laughs> kept out of trouble. Uh, but he had to get in there and get the scoop. Why are they calling and telling Bill Belichick anyways who their new coach is? I mean, is he that in the end scene? I guess so. But anyways, Brian Flores, he's suing him, suing the NFL. He wants some changes. He doesn't want to go through these sham interviews. And it looks like he might have some case. I mean, I guess the problem that they're going to have is, is this uh, comments from Bill Belichick. I mean, it could be hearsay and, and I'm sure they're going to ask Bill some questions and it's all about how he responds to those questions. You know, he states, well, you know, I was just talking to the old boys at the yacht club and we were smoking cigars and they were just saying that they, you know, they would like to have the ball uh, as their head coach. You know, maybe it wasn't anything official. Um, if it's just a statement, it's hearsay. I don't think this lawsuit's going to go far. Um, but the part with the hundred thousand dollars to lose every game bonus, um, that could be a little tricky. Um, 
I don't know. Is that the owner's discretion? I mean, it's throwing, it's throwing games, I guess, you know, in some way or another that could be, but is it in print? Is it in text? Is it, is, is there, is it, does he have substantial evidence to support this? This lawsuit might not go anywhere at all. It might just be a flop, but there's some interesting allegations that have been brought up in this lawsuit. So, you know, that's my take on, uh, you know, NFL. That's about as deep as I get into the NFL. I just want to counteract that. I actually pulled my daughter out of AM Culp because of the fifth grade teacher who lined those students up from whitest to darkest, made them turn around, and the white ones needed to apologize to the black ones. Now, do not tell me that it did not happen, okay, in this district. You need to put an end to this. Kids do not see color, and you are segregating them, and you are separating them. This is not okay. Do something or get out of those damn chairs. Well, now, this creates a little interesting situation. So this parent at a teacher's uh, school, it looks like it's a school board meeting, is alleging that uh, a fifth grade teacher, but she's claiming that the teacher made the kids line up from white to dark, used the little color chart of racism to, uh, you know, put everybody in line, uh, light to dark, and made them turn around and apologize to, I guess, I guess the darker person behind them. That seems fair enough. Um, yeah, fifth grade. Apologize to the black kids. Uh, and I do have a problem. I do have a problem with it. Like I, like I hear this, this mother saying uh, that I don't think kids, all kids. I mean, there's, there are some extreme cases where kids are raised in extremely racist homes and maybe they're, they, you know, not maybe they, they do have racist tendencies, but I don't think that in the classroom, I don't think the majority of the kids are this way. I don't think we should be reinforcing this. You know, I know yesterday I was saying I was the liberal progressive, but when it comes to this kind of stuff, I don't, you know, a fifth grader, how old is a fifth grader? Hey Siri, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hey Siri, how old is the how old is the average fifth grader? Let me see what's going on here. Um, a fifth grader is usually eleven years old. Eleven years old. 11 years old and making them apologize for stuff that they have no idea. I mean, can this, I'm trying to, I'm trying to just see what they, what the benefit of this would be. And I, okay. So if you're an extreme liberal, you're going to say that the, well, the benefit is, is that they acknowledge the, the white makes the white kids acknowledge the atrocities of the past and acknowledging that and apologizing to other kids or the crimes of their ancestors and the crimes of, you know, they're going to, they, from the liberal point of view, it'd be the whole systematic racism and how everything is geared, you know, it's, it's biased. <clears throat> I don't want, I wouldn't want my kid in that class. I wouldn't want my kid apologizing for something that he doesn't have anything to do with. And it goes back to what I've said forever until we get to the point where we start calling out racism and not generalizing it by whole racial groups, but individuals, I, I think we're to that point. I think if somebody does something racist, they need to be called out. Definitely 100% without a doubt, they need to be called out. But I don't think we need to call out the whole race of that person. And we're never going to progress, man. We're never going to progress until we quit labeling whole racial segments of the population 
and just focus on the people that are actually doing racist things. That's my opinion. I know that that's not a popular opinion, but we have to narrow it down. We have to. We have to. I mean, this is going nowhere. This is going nowhere. But, you know, this is just this is just a one-off thing, right? It's just a one-off thing. Something crazy happened. Teacher was a little bit out of line. Possibly, you know, this, is, this isn't par for the course. So we're not going to base all of our opinions off of one, you know, person's little actions. We're going to... the honesty Wait, issue, what's this? This board has repeatedly denied oh, same school board. that has taken place at AM Culp Elementary. Just the last action meeting, we were actually attacked by Dr. G, who referred to Fox News about an event that happened. Fox News didn't tell me that the event happened at AM Culp Elementary. The activity oh, what I'm talking is, what was about the event? is known as a privilege walk. It privilege happened walk. in the courtyard at AM Culp Elementary, not once, but four times. A teacher who had a professional courtesy, I won't say her name, lined the students up on the wall, asked them to step forward if their parents were married, step okay. forward if their parents were uh, college educated. Step forward if they own a cell phone or an iPhone. Step forward if their skin color resembled one of a Band-Aid. Step forward if they had an in-ground pool. Now, this teacher um, carried out this event, and I know it happened because one father told me at the top of my driveway, four parents told me over the phone. I sat in the driveway, and a mother and father told me the story that happened to their daughter last year. And just Thursday, I sat in the living room and listened to the story verbatim, word for word, the same questions. But she also added at one point when she asked about the Band-Aid with a mini megaphone, the teacher told the student to get back on the wall because her parents were from India. That happened. There are no versions of the truth, Mrs. Stoll. You emphatically said that didn't happen five times. It did happen, but yet you still deny that it happened. We have filed the right to know for it. We did it in July. We're still waiting for the results on that because it keeps getting kicked down the can because you know you can run out the clock on the issue. Oh, well, that's a, that's a, well, that's a whole different, you know, that's a, they're, they're doing the privilege parade. I mean, come on, we've all done the privilege parade. Okay, you know, all sarcasm aside, I don't think, I think every student should be treated as an individual special person that they are, and they should be, I don't like shaming. I don't like shaming students. I don't like shaming, putting them on level tiers, especially initiating it by their peers, their teachers, their schools, et cetera. I don't like that. I think each kid needs to be treated as if they are a special, unique human being and give them the best tools to succeed in this world. I don't think that segregating them or calling them out on their differences is a, I mean, when you're calling people out on their differences, whatever that is, that right there is a race. What is it? What is it? How do you say the right words on this? It's wrong. It's wrong. Treat these kids as unique individuals, treat them, give them the best shot that they could possibly have. Stop, stop, stop dividing, stop grouping, dividing, all this other kind of stuff. Just treat them like kids, man. They're friggin' kids. They're friggin' kids. If this is something you want to explore at the college level, at 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 at, at where where there's where the mind is developed to a different point where they can grasp these concepts, concepts of systematic racism, etc. That's one thing. But at fifth grade, at 11 years old, these kids are 11 years old, give or take. Come on, man. Come on. What is wrong with these people? What is wrong with these people? 
Ah, serenity now. Serenity, mother freaking. Oh, what's this? New news from the Los Angeles Times. Uh, maybe it'll be a good piece of news that'll just really put me in a better mood. Let's see. What do we have going on here? Uh, LA Times, Sacramento. Sacramento. Oh, only good things come out of Sacramento, kids. That's for sure. Let's see. Two months after four people were killed and seven injured during a Michigan high school shooting, a California lawmaker said he will introduce a bill that would require school administrators to collect information from parents about guns stored at home and would mandate backpack, locker, and car searches if there's a credible threat or danger of mass casualty. Well, this sounds promising. State Senator Anthony Portentino from La Cunada Flint Ridge, author of several California gun safety laws, said he decided to introduce the legislation after the November 30th shooting at Oxford High School, um, which re reignited a national con conversation over how to prevent such incidents. Uh, let's see. That shooting, let's see, it occurred despite teachers reporting concerning behavior by the 15-year-old suspect, Ethan Crumbly, the day before and morning of the shooting, including searching for ammunition on his cell phone during class. He also had a graphic drawing that depicted a gun. Okay, well, I mean, uh, okay. School officials called a meeting with the boy's parents November 30th, but he was allowed to return to class, and his backpack wasn't searched. Hours later, he allegedly used a gun that his parents bought him as a Christmas present to open fire at the school. We saw what inaction does in Michigan, Portentino said. Inaction leads to a tragedy. By empowering school districts with information and the mandate to investigate, we're taking that inaction off the table. The legislation which Portentino said he plans to formally introduce today, Wednesday, contains three provisions that he believes could help prevent school shootings. Starting in 2023, public and charter schools would have to annually provide educational material on safe firearm storage, firearm storage to parents or guardians of students. Families would be required be required, families would be required to notify the school during student registration if any guns are in the home. Hold on. Families would be required to notify the school during student registration if any guns in the home, of any guns in the home, and to answer questions about the ownership, storage, and accessibility by the pupil of the firearms. That's what a draft of the bill states. I don't have a draft of the bill in front of me. This is just the LA Times. And um, so it goes on to say, if there's a threat, perceived threat, is there, if there is a threat or perceived threat of a shooting by a student at school, officials would have to notify local law enforcement and the Department of Justice and must launch an investigation and threat assessment, which would include checking the family's firearm disclosure form, the student and his or her property, including car, locker, and backpack. All of those would be searched if there is reason to believe the student is in possession of a firearm or otherwise violating the law and school safety policies. The State Department of Education and State Department of Justice would have to develop a model content for schools to use when dealing with the threat or perceived threat of a deadly incident, according to the bill fact sheet. 
Ortino said, go find those weapons before they get used to kill a kid. Oh, man. Ortino said his bill could stir opposition for both left-leaning and conservative groups, given its privacy implications. But the legislature, Portentino argued, must act to prevent another tragedy. One more shooting is one more too many. One more dead student is one more too many. One more tragedy is one more we don't want, he said. Uh, well, I mean, it's just a bill. That doesn't mean it's going to pass, but he's wanting, he's wanting parents, when you register your child, to fill out a gun report of what guns are in the home, where they're stored, how they're stored, and then they want to give up any privacy rights of the child to search their car, locker, and backpack if they are a perceived threat. Yeah, 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 no. No, 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 uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. That's too much information. I see this going so many different wrong ways. That's too much information to have in the school's hands. It's none of their business. And who's to say there's not going to be some uh, overzealous anti-gun nut that starts seeing this parent and sees how their guns are stored, what guns they have. I mean, that's just kind of setting yourself up for somebody to do something shady on the back end that has that information. And then the fact that they could search their car locker and backpack. Um. Yeah, that could be getting some kids in trouble. I understand not wanting firearms in the school. I totally, firearms carried by unauthorized people in the school. Let me rephrase that. I can definitely see not wanting firearms carried by unauthorized people in the school, but uh, there's there's got to be a better way to do this instead of just invading all kinds of privacy issues with this bill. But this is California. I don't know what the bill number is. It doesn't even list it here. They probably don't want the Los Angeles Times is probably protecting it. Uh, well, it might not be on public record yet since it is going to be presented in front of the Senate today on Wednesday. But man, that's a big one, man. That's a big one. Where does this guy get off thinking that that's okay? Well, he's from La Cunada, Flint Ridge. That's, that's where he's getting off from. That's a big one. I'm sure we're going to hear be hearing a lot more about this one if it even gets close in the Senate. Uh, there's going to be an uproar about this bill or it just gets dismissed outright. Let's hope it does. Imagine that an adult male uh, wants to have sex with a 12 year old girl. Imagine that she's a willing participant. A, a very standard, very widely held view that there's something deeply wrong about this and it's wrong independent of it being criminalized. It's not obvious to me that is in fact wrong. I think this is a mistake. And I think that exploring why it's a mistake will tell us not only things about adult child sex and statutory rape, but also about fundamental principles of morality. Uh, FBI, you might want to look into this guy a little bit. Who would say such a thing? Well, it, of course, it'd be a professor from university. Who was that? That was Stephen Kirshner. And this is from the description from the university that he teaches at. This is their uh, biography on him. Stephen Kirshner is a distinguished teaching professor in the philosophy department at the State University of New York at Fredonia and an attorney. He focuses on applied ethics and political philosophy. Kirshner has written 100 articles and book chapters on such diverse topics as 
abortion, adult child sex, hell, most valuable player, pornography, punishment, sexual fantasies, slavery, and torture. Adult child sex. I think that's the rebranding of the term pedophilia, uh, adult child sex. So this guy is a professor. Now, it's what's funny to me is, it's not funny at all, I guess, but what's interesting to me is in the university's bio, they say that he he talks about diverse topics such as adult child sex. So they knew what this guy was up to, right? Well, apparently the university saw this little video interview that he did. And they said, Fredonia is aware of a video posted online involving one of its professors. The views expressed by this by the professor are reprehensible and do not represent the values of Fredonia in any way, shape, or form. They are solely the professor's views. That matter is being reviewed. Ah, what a weirdo. What a weirdo. And here he is talking to another guy. And, and what's interesting about this is the guy that he's talking to, this is another interview that's been dug up on him. Uh, the guy that he's talking to. Well, that, I, I had um, I good friends. Hold on, hold on. Let me pause this. Let me pause this. Let me rewind this. The guy that he's talking to is, um, what is his name? Uh, it's Thaddeus Russell. Which <laughs> I was to the adult child sex. That's always a big seller. Oh, yeah. Oops. Hold on. I'm sorry about that. Uh, the guy he's talking to is Thaddeus Russell, who has another university. It sounds like it's like an online university. He hosts the uh, podcast called Unregistered. And, uh, oh, yeah, his university is called Renegade University. Now, you're first going to hear the doctor, and then you're going to hear Thaddeus. But here they are. Here's some more comments from this uh, professor. <laughs> I was to the adult child sex. That's always a big seller. Oh, yeah. Well, that, I, I, had, um, I had good friends who said, are you crazy? Do not write that book. Man, listen, you're talking to a guy who for 25 years has been making arguments more or less in defense of adult child sex in classrooms. Uh, and I don't know if the, I don't know if it's the same argument as yours, but I even authored a piece in the Daily Beast in which I called into question the age of consent laws, oh, uh, which is yeah. you know, and I, I brought to bear the arguments I was making in class. And I'm, let's, I'm going to see how they whether they jibe. <laughs> uh, wow, 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 wow. Uh, these guys are the, you know, they're the ones teaching your college age kids. Uh, adult child sex is what they're calling it. I don't know what this world is coming to. I do not know what this world is coming to, but it's out there. It is out there, folks. I don't even know what to say. I don't even know what to say. They're trying to normalize this, man. They're trying to make it that this is not a... Uh, you know, j just by the, the 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 mere fact that they're taking pedophilia out of the equation and just called it adult child sex is weird. I mean, the first guy saying is, you know, a 12 year old that's consenting. A 12 year old doesn't have the right to consent because they're freaking 12 years old. Is this what we really want for the next generation? These kind of people. I mean, these these kind of guys, man, they need to be removed from their positions. They need to be, if, you know, you're going to go out there and do some cancel culture on somebody, cancel these guys, man, for crying out loud. Some real perpetrators of, of just, just, just deviant thought. You know, everybody wants to focus on Joe Rogan. I forget Joe Rogan. If you want to go after somebody, go after guys like this. But I mean, you don't hear about it. You don't hear about it in the media. Just par for the course. Just par for the freaking course, man.
Well, Dr. Stephen is also the author of a book. Well, let's see what this book is. It's on Amazon. Let me see. Uh, Pedophilia and Adult Child Sex, a Philosophical Analysis. Uh, it's the description here. Uh, this book provides a philosophical analysis of adult child sex and pedophilia. This sex intuitively strikes many people as sick, disgusting, and wrong. Yeah, no shit. The problem is that it is not clear whether these judgments are justified and whether they are aesthetic or moral. By analogy, many people find it disgusting to view images of obese people having sex, but it is hard to see what is morally undesirable about such sex. Here, the judgment is aesthetic. This book looks at the moral status of such adult child sex in particular. It explores whether those who engage in adult child sex have a disease, act wrongly, or are vicious. In addition, it looks at how the law should respond to such sex given the above analysis. Yeah, I'm not putting that in my cart. Um, Dr. Stephen Kirshner out of New York. Damn, need some Listerine to wipe that story out of my brain. But it's a harsh reality. Anyways, in Belgium, as of Tuesday, thousands of federal civil servants in Belgium no longer have to answer calls or emails from their bosses outside of working hours. That's thanks to a new law granting some 65,000 government workers the right to disconnect. And in the process, adding Belgium to the growing list of European countries taking steps toward greater work-life balance. Petra de Sutter, the Belgian Minister for Public Administration, said in a letter that the right to disconnect will be codified into law as a means to combat excessive work stress and burnout among federal civil servants, according to the Brussels Times. Under the new rule, federal civil servants cannot be contacted outside of typical working hours unless there are exceptional and unforeseen circumstances requiring action that cannot wait until the next working period. I kind of like this. I do. I like this. It's, it feels like with the connective connectivity that we have in this world between email, text messages, and all this kind of stuff, uh, you really don't shut off the, the time clock of your job and it just follows you 24 hours a day. And people are perturbed if you, you know, you're, you're gone and you don't respond back in a timely manner. I mean, I, I was, I had to, I had to take off a, a, from a job. I won't specify what job uh, the other day because we were having a baby shower and my phone, I had like yeah, 12 missed calls. I had multiple text messages and you know what? I wasn't in a place. I mean, I took the day off because I couldn't be at the job. You know, I'm doing something where I don't want to be sidetracked with that job, you know, and you know, here's here. My phone is just blowing up, blowing up, blowing up, blowing up because because, well, because they didn't know what they were doing, but you know, maybe that would have been an exceptional uh, uh, circumstance, but I'll tell you what, every time, every time I take off from a job, I get phone calls like that. And you know what? The, the, the thing is, it's, it's not really, it shouldn't be, maybe it should in part, but it's not really my problem. Uh, the problem that, that I have with a lot of time in my industry with what I do is they want to cut corners. They don't want to hire somebody qualified to be there when I'm not there. And because of that, they get these amateurs in there regarding audio, regarding audio jobs, and they just don't know what they're doing and they're totally in over their head. But that's not my problem. You know, that's the company that hires me. Um, you know, when I'm not going to be there, they need to hire somebody that's proficient. And if they don't want to do that, 
uh, that's on them and they kind of deserve what they get. So, I mean, not to be a dick, but I, you know, I didn't even have my phone on me on the day that I called off. It was over there playing music in the corner and I had notifications turned off is I had a music playlist playing from my phone. Uh, so I didn't respond back. I didn't respond back. And, you know, they, they figured it out on their own. You know, I don't need to be their safety net 24 uh, seven. That's just me. What do I know? Anyway, this is Jake with Radio Underland. That's some of the news stories that are going on right now. Uh, if you'd like to uh, look more into detail on some of these stories, you can definitely find them at the Radio Underland News Group on Facebook. And uh, like, follow, subscribe, share, uh, tell your liberal friends about us. I don't know, just kind of reading through the news. It is what it is. All right, be good humans. I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.